You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. So first we will be singing Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Thank 
sing O Come, Come Emmanuel. We'll just do a couple verses. Oh 
There you go. Amen. Hopefully the uh, uh, audio uh, was pretty pretty spot in there in terms of being able to hear. I'm sure the audio is not um, quality wise, um, but thanks for that. Um, we'll keep doing some of those uh, throughout this Advent season um, to make it what it is and keep those traditions alive, even though they look different this year um, and they sound different this year. Um, that's why we do traditions. They flex and they bend with us in the times. Uh, so with that, I believe um, Angie will lead us through um, a few announcements and then Aaron will take us to prayers to the people. Good morning, everyone. All right, so looking forward to the week. The gathering is Wednesday at 7.30 and Philosophy is Thursday nights at 6 p.m. Both are via the Zoom link. Um, and then for the next book club, we're gonna be reading The Year of Magical Thinking by Joe Didion. Um, book club will meet Wednesday, January 6th. Uh, we have a couple blood drives coming up, December 10 and January 11. And uh, we will be doing dinner at Essencia on New Year's Eve. And if you're interested, contact Max um, and then he can get you signed up for helping out. And then just as a reminder, especially as we go to the holidays, if you need any sort of help, please reach out to any of us on leadership and we'd be happy to help. Um, and then I will pass it over to Aaron. Thanks, Angie. So now is the part of the, our service that we set aside for prayer requests or words of thanksgiving, um, joys and concerns. If you have something you wanna share, you can unmute and just raise your voice now. Um, otherwise, if you're more comfortable, you can always put it in um, the chat window and we can address it from there. Um, does anybody have anything this morning? Hi, Aaron. Hey, Randy. Hey, ma'am. Sister Stacy went into the hospital the other day. They think she might have COVID, but we're not sure. They're waiting for the test to come back tomorrow. Her name's Stacy, if we could lift her up. Yeah, is, think, she, is she there now? Um, I think she's home. Okay. She stays in like a hospice thing, but um, she got really sick and that might be COVID, so. Yeah, Randy, let's Thanks. pray for her. Loving God, we lift up Stacy in the hour of her need as she's um, facing a possible COVID diagnosis and hospitalization. We pray for her health and well-being. We pray that her doctors and physicians might know how best to care for her. But we pray for Randy and his entire family as they are concerned and worrying and walking through this difficult time with her. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Sure, Randy. Wish her the best. Some Somebody else? Hi. <clears throat> hey, hey Herman. Uh, I have friends back in Canada. We lost you there, Herman. Um, I have a couple of friends back in Kansas City, Joe and Joyce. Got it. And, uh, Joe is, I think, early 80s and just tested positive. Um, he's uh, in fairly robust health overall. Um, but uh, Joyce is uh, pushing mid-70s and is super high risk, has rheumatoid arthritis and some other things. And so... This is her husband, <clears throat> so um, I haven't heard back from her yet if her test was positive or not. But at any rate, uh, because of their ages and everything else, this could be, you know, could be potentially serious. So yeah, yeah. Let's pray. 
loving God, we lift up Joe and Joyce, and we pray for their health and well-being as they are facing uh, COVID-19 diagnoses. And we ask um, that they might know peace in their minds and spirits and bodies, that um, they might receive the help that they need. Um, and all those in our lives that um, are, are faced right now with COVID-19 that have been diagnosed, um, that may be ill with it, we pray for their health. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody else this morning? Um, I have something. Uh, many of you guys probably already know this, but Eunice and I are preparing to move across the country um, right after Christmas. And there's a lot going on in the meantime <laughs> to prepare for that. Um, and uh, as you can imagine, it gets pretty stressful. Um, so, yeah, we, thankfully we have somewhere to stay for a couple months rent-free thank god <laughs> um but yeah it's just it's going to be a huge transition um so there's a lot to deal with in the meantime uh financially and otherwise so um yeah that's it yeah let's pray we give thanks for andrew and eunice um and what they've meant to this community and while in a way they're going to still be with us, we also realize that they're moving away um, geographically. And um, we just give thanks for them and their friendship. And, and we pray blessings on them and their travels and their this transition and the stresses that are involved with the move. We pray for their peace of mind. Uh, may they um, receive the help they need from us and from other friends, known and unknown at this time. Um, we, we pray for them and we, we uh, bless them. We bless our friends, Eunice and Andrew at this time. May they settle well in Arkansas and um, establish the kind of life um, that they uh, would like and that would be beneficial for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, Anthony, um, Arkansas, right, Andrew? North, north uh, west Arkansas, is that correct? By Fayetteville, okay. Anybody else this morning? I have one. One of my um, co-workers' mom just got a test yesterday that confirmed that she has metastatic cancer. Um, her name's Cindy, and it's just one of those things that's like 2020 and just everything that just continues to be layered that we all know about. It's just so hard. Um, so her name's Cindy. My coworker's name is Sarah. Um, but if we could just pray for that family. Yeah, absolutely. We pray for Cindy and this diagnosis of metastatic cancer and all of the grief and all of the pain that goes along with it. We lift up and we ask for relief. We pray that she might receive the help she needs from physicians, from loved ones, that she might feel loved and supported that she might feel um, deeply cared for. But we pray for her health and well-being moving forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody else this morning? Well, as Max and Bob said earlier, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and the theme is traditionally about hope. And I find things to be hopeful for right now. 
Um, I'm hopeful about the incredible vaccines scientists have developed and the fact that it looks like they'll begin administering them to the most vulnerable in a couple of weeks. That's absolutely amazing. Uh, and I'm hopeful about a new administration in Washington and one that hopefully will be far more just and decent than the previous one. So I find things to be hopeful for right now, and I hope you do too. But I want to talk about our shared Christian hope today. What is Christian hope? I used to think that it was hope in heaven, <laughs> hope in the hereafter, hope in escaping death and gaining everlasting life in paradise. I used to believe that the Christmas message was that Jesus's birth was a sign of great hope because he came to save us from our sins so that we could go to heaven one day and not hell, you know, which was really the hope of being saved from a wrathful and angry father, right? This brutal dictator on high. It was like the hope of a kid who hopes that when dad comes home from work, he doesn't beat the crap out of him. Some kind of hope, right? But like so many of you, this was the Christian hope I was raised on. Don't get me wrong, I'm still uh, open to the idea of the afterlife. I think science is showing us more and more that consciousness is the fundamental nature of the universe and that consciousness is, is not just a property of some kinds of matter, like our brains, but all matter. Consciousness pervades all aspects of the material universe. So I'm open to the idea of the afterlife, but I make no hard claims for or against that anymore. I'm an, I'm an agnostic about that now. I choose instead to find a kind of earthbound hope, a hope for this life in this world. What could be more hopeful than that? But is that a Christian hope? <laughs> I, I think so. And I think of Christian hope in two ways, really. Think of Christian hope in two ways, as a kind of existential hope and a kind of social hope. And I wanna look at both today as I think both are tied together inextricably. One of the most important passages for Advent and one that is full of Christian hope, I think, is Mary's song from Luke chapter one, or as it's also called, the Magnificat. Mary is telling her cousin Elizabeth about her pregnancy and she exclaims with great joy, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forevermore." End quote. For Mary, the kind of advent she was observing, the God she was hoping and longing for was a God who will, in her own words, scatter the proud and the thoughts of their heart. A God who will bring down the powerful from their thrones and lift up the lowly. A God who will, quote, fill the hungry with good things and send the rich away empty. This was the kind of God she and many of her contemporaries were hoping for. Notice she makes no mention of the afterlife here. Her advent expectation had nothing to do with, with longing for eternal life and everlasting rewards on high. 
nor was she or anybody else longing for rescue from, from hell and, and the wrath of God. No, she was longing for justice and peace on earth. She and her contemporaries, the first Christians, mind you, these were longing for the establishment of God's will in ways in the social structures of our world, aka the kingdom of God. And that's the kind of God they got in Jesus. The question is, are we longing for and waiting for the same God? Whose nativity are we celebrating? What kind of advent are we really observing? It's, it's amazing to me that I was raised in the church and heard countless Christmas sermons over the years and never heard this understanding of the gospel once. <laughs> I never heard this understanding of the gospel till I was in my 30s and in seminary. It's a tragedy. Instead, I was hearing sermon after sermon at Christmas time about how Jesus came to die for our sins so we could go to heaven when we die, so we can go to heaven and not hell. You know, su such an understanding of the gospel would have been totally alien to Mary, totally alien to her contemporaries, and certainly to Jesus himself. So the hope of Advent, the hope of the incarnation, is really about a hope for this life and this world, a hope that peace and justice might, might be established on the earth, especially for the so-called least of these. And for me, this kind of earthly hope bleeds over into a kind of existential hope too. You know, the Christian hope is not just a hope for social justice, in my opinion, but an existential hope. Caring about justice and liberation and the well-being of others only matters. It only matters because life itself matters. One cannot truly love others, I believe, if one does not also love life. Otherwise, what's the point? One cannot find meaning in the love of others if one does not also find meaning in the love of life itself. These two loves, these two hopes, I think are inextricably you know, tied together. A social justice hope and, a, and an existential hope are, are tied together. And, and like the social justice hope, the existential hope for us Christians is not otherworldly. It's not supernatural, so to speak but it's a hope for this life and, and this world. It's a deep affirmation of this life, e in, even in all of its frailty and temporality, even in the shadow of death. For me, the incarnation, the nativity story is about this too. In the incarnation, you know, we're told that God emptied himself of everything we would associate with, with an all-powerful deity. You know, he emptied himself of all transcendence and power and otherworldliness, and he emptied himself of all might and took the form of a lowly servant, we're told by Paul, and found himself, in being found in human form, he humbled himself and, and became obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is Paul in Philippians. Not a passage we would associate necessarily with Advent, but absolutely an Advent passage. You know, many Christians over the centuries have believed that this is meant to teach us a kind of profound humility. For if God himself became a so-called nothing and a so-called nobody, if God himself embraced the frail and transient nature of our existence, if God himself embraced mortality by becoming one of us, how much more should we embrace these things? The frail and transient nature of our existence, right? And in this way, we find a kind of deep and divine affirmation of our existence. To be human is to be godly. To, to be godly is to be human. To live and die, 
to, to simply invest ourselves passionately in this short life is to become like Christ himself. This is an act of divine grace. And I think it's beautiful and I think it's profoundly meaningful. I love this little analogy from Don Cupid, uh, an Anglican priest um, and, a, and a radical theologian, a scholar that I've been into lately. He says this, the sun symbolizes the religious ideal, meaning the sun in the sky. The sun symbolizes the religious ideal of a full synthesis of death and life because the thermonuclear burning, which is the sun's living, is also and identically it's dying. The sun's very existence is a unity of vitality and mortality. It burns and burns out. It expends itself gloriously. It lives not by thriftily saving away, but by recklessly giving itself away, end quote. To me, this means that life can only be lived by constantly pouring oneself out. Life is a kind of canonic act, a, a glorious expenditure. The sun's light and heat are what gives life to all things, right? Including us. And yet this life-giving expenditure of energy is also the very means of the sun's death. It will eventually burn out this way, not for another few billion years, but like all things, it too will disintegrate but it will do so by gloriously pouring itself out and giving life to everything around it. Here we see how we only truly live by giving ourselves away, just as Christ did. Don Cupid goes on to say this. I love this. All life is dying life, including the life of God. All life is dying life. There is no non-dying life to be found on earth or in the cosmos. All life is a kind of dying life, including the life of God. This too is the meaning of Advent, the meaning of a God who's born to die. And to me, this reveals a deeper kind of Christian hope, not a hope that negates death, not a hope that negates death, but a hope that makes peace with death. And in that way, kind of transcends it. I'm reminded of the words of the late Richard Alpert, AKA Ram Das. Death does not need to be treated like an enemy, for us to delight in life. Death does not need to be treated like an enemy for us to delight in life. I think we've been taught the opposite of that as Christians, that death must be treated like an enemy for us to delight in life, right? That death is the last great enemy we're told and it must be defeated and done away with once and for all for us to, for us to truly delight in life and have peace. You know, we can't delight in life and have peace we're told unless we know we won't really die and cease to exist. We have to believe in the afterlife if this life is to have any meaning, so we've been told. But maybe the way we really beat death, so to speak, is not by destroying it and living forever somewhere, but by accepting death as a part of life and actually that which makes life livable. Death can actually be what makes life worth living. I think the transient nature of all things is actually what enhances our enjoyment of them. It can teach us to live more in the moment and really appreciate what we have now, knowing that nothing lasts forever. As Psalm 103 says, as for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it's gone and its, and its place remembers it no more. You know, the ancient Hebrews didn't have a concept of the afterlife. Uh, that always shocks us modern Christians, right? If you read the Old Testament, you will hear no mention of heaven or hell. It seems they believed in the finality of death, and yet they were not atheists. They were not nihilists. 
but they lived rich lives full of faith. I've become highly critical of the popular Christian teaching that if there is no resurrection of the dead and no life beyond this one, then this life is without meaning and, and just a depressing state of affairs. But what does it say about us if the only thing that makes this life worth living is our belief that a better life awaits us somewhere else? What does it say about um, the value we ascribe to this life and this world if we believe that our real life begins when we're dead? Maybe a really hopeful faith is a faith in life before death rather than a faith in life after death. Maybe a really hopeful faith is a faith that we can experience a kind of rich life now by focusing on what's good and, and affirmative about this life. Maybe there's actually something you know, kind of nihilistic about saying, no, 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 my real life begins when I'm dead. <laughs> uh, this life in this world is garbage. I'm all about the next life and the next world. Maybe that's actually where the nihilism is, not in the kind of earthy hope and faith I'm describing this morning. So for me, these two kinds of hope uh, are tied together an existential hope and a social justice hope. Caring about justice and the well-being of others only matters, I think, if we really believe this life matters. One cannot truly love others if one does not also love this life and this world with all their heart. One cannot find meaning in the love of others if one does not also find meaning in the love of life itself. For God so loved the world, we're told. God so loved the world, that he sent his son. So let's be people of this kind of love and this kind of hope this Christmas season and always. Thanks for being here. Um, do we have any comments or questions about my talk today? Happy birthday, Herman. <laughs> Any questions or comments? Does this hope? Um, oh, who was the guy who said, who had the quote about the sun? That's Don Cupid. Don Cupid spelled with two T's. He's really good. Aaron, I, I wanted to throw something in here. Um, it may seem initially like a curveball, but it, it's just something that came to my mind when you were speaking about this. I think I told you a few weeks ago. Uh, so a few weeks ago for Filmosophy, we the film we watched was uh, A Thief in the Night, which um, many of you know is an evangelical film made back in the 1970s about the supposed apocalypse and all of the, the rapture and everything else that went with it. And what was bizarre to me was I was expecting it to be this like, cheesy Christian kind of movie that we see, you know, pumped out nowadays, made on these really low budgets with filmmakers who don't know what they're doing. But what was weird to me was I actually thought that a lot of aspects of the film were surprisingly well done. And it and it's this film actually like triggered me in a way, which is I was not expecting at all because it, there's this theology built into it that uh for some reason, like, I know that if I watched this as a kid, as so I know many of you probably did here, uh, it would have like, I think scarred me for life because there's so much about that film that is, 
that feels weirdly nihilistic. Like you're kind of saying, Aaron, there, there's this approach that, okay, well, everything that you're living for, like everything around you is so disposable. Um, and you are part, like, basically you are trash unless you accept this truth that the world is, is going to hell basically. Um, and there's, there's just this, I won't in, get into the weeds about it, but the psychological trickery of the film, like almost made me re-believe it in a way. Mm. It's like, there's maybe this little inkling inside of me that, um, is appealing to my baser tendency that there's something about this that, um, is rewiring a, a part of my brain when I was younger that felt this fear um, that, that, yeah, maybe the world is meaningless. And if, if it is meaningless outside of this supposed belief of God, then you either cling to that or you believe in nothing. It's, it's sort of like this binary switch of if you believe this way, um, you're safe. And if you don't, you're, you're doomed. Um, and there's no nuance. And, and what's, what's interesting to me is that, I feel like I've intellectually um, so moved past that on so many levels. And yet still there's these weird fears in my brain. I'm not even aware of that, uh, that kind of pull me back into some, uh, that kind of thinking or have the uh, capability to. So I'm curious, Aaron, if you still experience that at all. Yes, or... <laughs> yes I do. I do that self doubt and, and um it's, you've talked about it before, Andrew, religious trauma syndrome, I think, and, you know, some of that stuff's really, it's impossible, I think, to completely unlearn it or to deprogram our brains, because especially for those of us who are raised as young children in, in that kind of conservatism or fundamentalism, whatever you want to call it, you know, those ideas are profoundly powerful, this idea that, you know, heaven and hell uh, even as a young child, you have to choose between heaven and hell and that life is only meaningful if, you know, you believe the right things and, and if you're destined for heaven, you know, God is doing away with this world. You're, this, this entire world is destined for the, you know, for, for, you know, destruction. And the only way that, you know, you are not is by believing the right things and then you shall be saved and live beyond. These are incredibly traumatic messages that I think inherently make us devalue life. Um, and even if you're taught that as a young child, I think that's deeply, deeply damaging. It's something that I think in a way, you know, your brain forms as a kid and you're, and you're taught these lessons and your brain's hardwired this way. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's, as you said, Andrew, you find yourself when you encounter those, those films or those ideas, you find yourself, you know, part of you is leaning back into that because I think it's impossible not to, because you're literally hardwired um, that way. And so I, you know, for those of us who have um, healed and grown um, outside of that world, kudos to us for the courage and finding the empowerment to do so. Um, and if anything, I think that's a testimony to the truth of the gospel that we ultimately can embrace the cross, the death of God, um, this kind of crucifixion of our former selves, the, the death of, you know, that, that that kind of world and embrace a resurrection right find a new life find be born again um you know i for me i i think um i find great hope still um in those ideas but anyway yeah andrew i i feel that i feel that anybody else
Uh, yeah, Jason, uh, I was forced to watch that movie, uh, Thief in the Night. Uh, I was forced. It was part of uh, a Wednesday night service at my church growing up when I was like 10. I remember having nightmares. Uh, I, went, I, I even remember laying awake in bed at night after watching that movie and being scared um, at, as like a 10 year old. That's, you don't, you don't forget that stuff. Yeah. But I'm curious, um, what are you all finding hope in these days? You know, I, um, I, I think, um, you know, I, I find hope in certain things, but I'm curious, you know, are you all hopeful? Do you feel hopeful right now? <laughs> what do you find hope in? Or what are you not finding hope in? Are you not hopeful? What are you struggling with? I said at the top of my talk that I'm, I'm hopeful about the vaccine that it's, I, I'm, we're hearing that it's going to be administered to the most vulnerable starting in a couple of weeks. I, I also find hope in the, in the administration change taking place right now. Um, but anybody I want to share what they're hopeful about or not hopeful about, we can lament as well. This is a community that laments. Yeah, David, I go back and forth with hope constantly. Yeah. I think I've found hope in the fact that even though like the way I've been able to communicate and spend time with family and friends throughout this, and even though it feels like it's never going to end, like when I step back, like I, to the people that are closest to me, I feel like I'm just as close or closer with a lot of them than I was pre-pandemic. Um, so I guess I feel hopeful about that, that there's like, um, and I'm maybe in a like privileged position for that to be the case maybe, but um, I think that's hope just knowing that like whatever this, whatever state this world is in, like, still able to stay connected to the people around us. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Andrew, yeah. Other thoughts? Lakin wrote in the chat, I think I went and am going through a whole kind of grief from feeling safe, quote, safe after death. <laughs> uh, the not knowing what happens after we die, not being able to see your loved ones again, et cetera. That's all hard to accept. Yeah, it absolutely is, right? Um, 
Yeah, and I think this is a community where we all, many of us have different ideas about the afterlife, right? And obviously we want to affirm, you know, those different, those different ideas. I've striven as the, as the teaching pastor of the community and, and someone who really has found a lot of meaning and power in radical theology, which is a school of thought. I, I really believe that ultimately what makes the gospel meaningful and powerful for me is this idea that it's a kind of a radical affirmation of our material lives as they really are, right? This idea of the suffering God, the, the death of God, the crucified Christ, right? Um, and, and, you know, there's this idea that we can experience and undergo a kind of redemptive move there, a kind of, of sense of being born again through kind of accepting the unknowability, as Lakin put it, right, um, of, of what happens after we die and the possibility that we cease to exist, right? Um, you know, I, I've adopted more of an agnostic position about that. I don't make claims about it anymore, uh, for or against, really. Um, perhaps I lean more towards non-existence at this point, but I still hold out hope <laughs> that my consciousness will go on in some capacity, right? Um, maybe I can't help but hope in that. Um, but nevertheless, I've striven to really believe or understand the gospel as being about a radical affirmation of this life in this world as it really is in the shadow of death, you know, and in that way find this kind of, you know, divine depth or infinite depth as uh, 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 Paul Tillich, the great theologian and philosopher put it, that there's a kind of infinite depth to this kind of affirmation of love and, and, and life itself and the sense of awe and wonder we can engage in for life and being, right? That, that this is Christ, that ultimately, you know, this idea that God became human, right? Is this radical affirmation of life and in the face of death. And, and for me, that's, that's the ultimate faith move. You know, it's easy to, I think in some ways it's easier to believe that um, life is meaningful because there's, you know, something waiting for us beyond and we're going to escape to that. And in a way that's, that feels better and that's easier maybe to believe in. It's harder to believe that we can actually experience this depth of living and this, this, this depth of love here and now, right? And that that is in itself, you know, salvation or redemption. Yeah. I, I think that's a deeper faith. Um, so um, but yeah, Lake, and you're, you're hitting on, I think what we all kind of struggle with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm seeing a good conversation here in the chat. Um, Nathan points out, or it says he agrees with Max. I don't know for certain what happens, but Christ did say to the thief on the cross that today you will be with me in paradise. I don't know what Jesus meant, but I find hope in it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's wonderful too. Other thoughts. Well, thanks for being here, everybody. We'll officially conclude. It's 1122. Um, I hope you have a wonderful week. And we'll go on with Advent next week. What's what's the theme next week, Max? It goes peace, right? Hope. Is it peace? Yeah. So peace. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Good stuff. As always, hang out 
and talk if and chat if you'd like, but otherwise you are formally dismissed. Thanks for being here. Much love to all of you. Thank you.